Thank you. Good morning, everyone. The last time I was here, we were under a little bit different circumstances, and Uni was as well. Uh, some, many of you know our story, and many of you do not. I'll give it to you 30 seconds, and then Uni's going to take a couple moments just to um, tell you how the grace of God will help you and get, lead you and walk with you through every season. Just about two years ago, my wife came home from uh, watching our kids, uh, our grandkids. She was the Nana in Binghamton for our little ones, and um, she said, honey, I feel dizzy. I said, honey, you're always dizzy. No, she said, honey, I'm dizzy. So I took her to the doctor, long story short. They did an MRI. She walked into the waiting room here on Route 57, and she said, honey, they told me I have a brain tumor the size of a tennis ball, and, it's, uh, and we need to see the doctor tomorrow. So long story short, then the following week she was operated on, and 22 days later, Laura went to heaven. I was at the cemetery uh, every day, and uh, over, over a season and over a period there at uh, Pine Plains and uh, 31 and Henry Clay Boulevard, went to the cemetery one day, and there was this uh, other woman standing on my grave spot next to Laura's grave. So I said to her, excuse me, ma'am, could you move over? You're, uh, you're, see, I sent my son to buy us to buy one lot plot when Laura died, but he came home and told me that I owed him $750 more because I was going to die before the rapture took place, and he didn't want to pay for mine, so he bought two for the price of, it was a deal, and, and so we had two plots where this woman was standing on my spot. And uh, lo and behold, in the sovereignty of God, of course, her husband, Tom, he had passed away of pancreatic cancer. And in the sovereignty of God, Tom is buried right next to Laura. Well, you know where this is going, right? So on September 29th, last year, we were engaged. Eight days later, a phone call came while I was in the city and when he was home that her son, Josh, 31 years old, had a heart failure, passed away, went to be with the Lord. So we have been processing a journey, and we've discovered that grief is a process. But how many of you know the, great, the, the grace of God is still greater than anything that happens to us in life? We've discovered that. We don't deny our pain. We don't, you don't deny your tears. No, that's foolishness. But you'll make a discovery that grief is a process, but God is good in every season. We don't love him because he's good for us and does this for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Please give me a parking spot so I don't have to walk in the rain today over at Walmart on 31. No. God is good whether you get a parking spot or not. God is just as big, just as smart, just as good, and nothing God allows is wasted and nothing he withholds is needed. It's called the sovereignty of God. So we're learning on a journey. And we're here to participate. Just before we open the book of God, I've asked uh, he's going to take a couple minutes just to give a greeting. Well, praise God. It's so nice to be here with you. And some of you know that uh, my husband, Tom Hartwick, and I passed the Trinity Assembly of God right on th Route 31 and for 31 years. And we've been married 41 years. And, uh, and, uh, and he shared most of the time. But I just want to take a couple minutes to share... <clears throat> You know, the pain, I, you know, I'm sure some of you can relate it to what I'm, I went through. And some of you can, I can see right now in this church body is going through the same. 
But the pain, that, the depth of pain, unless you've been there, you don't really understand, you know? And, 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 and someone told me that the, the, the greatest thing is not just, just the saying goodbye to your loved one, but learning to live without your loved one. That was the very hard for me. But anyway, it was, we all go through the storms of our life, doesn't it? You know? But the last year was almost like a, uh, it's, I was like a, it's like almost took my life what, when I went through. And, but there's a couple of things, I thank God for his faithfulness. And uh, there's a couple of things, I pray and read, declare, declare the scripture every Sunday night. We did everything. But when after my husband's gone, I just couldn't read the word. Something happened to me, shocked my body and soul spirit. I couldn't listen, I could, nothing coming in. I mean, I couldn't even pray. You know, I was pastor with my husband, 41, and I couldn't preach, and I couldn't, I forget to eat. I mean, there's some things happen. So many, many nights, I thank God, the precious Holy Spirit never leaves you, forsake you. Romans 8, 26, talking about Holy Spirit knows our weakness. And when we don't know what to pray, he intercedes with a groaning, they're too deep for words. And that's what he did. Every night, he would just intercede for me. And I could, oh, I could groan underneath, on top of the bed, just pray through in the, whole, in the Holy Spirit. And then during the day, and I you know, did some work on the church, but God used, I'm going to just share some of you going through, maybe this might help you. God used me, the scripture that I memorized, I could not read, I could not read, I could not listen. But the scripture that I memorized, I had several scriptures. But God took me to Psalm 23, 4. I knew this scripture all my life, but I never saw one word. Even though I walked through the valley of a share of death, I feel no evil. But God keeps saying, keep eyes on the world, walk. When you go through the hell, don't stop. Don't sit there. Don't keep eyes on there. Just keep on working. Walk towards to me. Just like a Peter, as long as his eye was on Jesus, he was able to walk on the water. And that's the way you're going through. So I just kept walking and walking and walking. And thank God that his faithfulness helped us to come through it. You know, I can tell you that God will never, never take you where the grace of God will not carry you and protect you. And that's what did. I thank God for the amazing grace. He takes me, carries me. When I can walk, he just lifted me up. And I just thank God. And then, you know, and I went through just one year. I'm not going to take you short, you know, just anymore. But God's faithfulness will never leave you. Thank you, and God bless you. Praise be to God. Just a bit of info. There is a um, six, six weeks after Laura went to heaven. I woke up on November 1st, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And I just, I just felt this impression in my heart. Now's the time. I just, I just heard this over and over. Now's the, now's the time. Now's the time. I've loved memorizing the scripture. I've loved studying for 44 years. But I've just felt it was a, the Lord was prompting me. 
I made a promise to the Lord 30 or 40 years ago that if he would ever give me anything to put in writing to be a blessing to another person, that I would never profit from it. And so there's around the 40 copies in the foyer. It's called Enjoy the Journey. It's a one-year devotional. It's scriptural. It's not full of funny stories and this and that and history. It's, it's really the word of the Lord. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and truth shall what? Freeze us from what? It frees us from ourselves. The word actually frees us from ourselves. So it's back at the table, uh, the welcome center. If it can be a blessing, I make not one cent, not one penny. Every penny above publishing the book goes to church planning and to missions. So if you're wondering if I'm a salesman, I am not. If you're wondering if I have a marketing plan, I do not. If you're wondering if I do not. If you can be a blessing, that's our goal, and we're trusting Jesus for this. Okay, for the next three hours today, I want us to look at... <laughs> Don't leave. I'm only... Get back in your seat. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Mark chapter 6. If you have your scripture today, whether it's on your cell phone or, or wherever, and we love Word of Life. We love your pastor. We even love your pastor's brother. <laughs> we really love your pastor. <laughs> He's secure. In Mark chapter 6, this last year, I came across this little text, and something happened inside of me, and I want to just unpack it over the next 28 minutes, and I want you to see what the Holy Spirit says to you and I on being a healthy Christian. How many of you think it's God's will for you to be a healthy, a healthy person from the inside out? It really, there's all kinds of people. I, I sat down the other night, God forgive me, and I came, I came up with this list and, 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 what, and what it means. There are angry people, oversensitive people, anxious people, critical people, overbearing people, pessimistic people, self-conscious people, narcissistic people, selfish people, myopic people. But then I ended it with, thank God, there are healthy people. Healthy people who are broken in will, but mighty in spirit. Healthy people are know what a servant is, and they know why Jesus washed feet, and it wasn't because they were dirty. A healthy person understands that to the degree I blame someone else for what's inside of me, to that degree I cannot be changed and will not be healed. As long as you blame someone else, you will not change because it's not your fault and you have nothing to do with it. But when you accept responsibility for what's inside of you, then you can change. And I know every one of your first, first names today. I know all of your first names. Your name is you. God wants to talk to you. My name's not important. My last name is Kirk. It rhymes with jerk. I understand that. My full name is William Nelson because my parents, I think, had an experience one night. I was conceived and they liked Willie Nelson and we know Willie Nelson. So I'm working on getting over it. All right. But in Mark chapter 6, something happens. Jesus calls the disciples to himself and the scripture says in verse 7, Jesus sent them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And then this phrase gripped me a few months ago. It says, these were his instructions. And when I saw that, something happened inside of me, so I began to mine the gold out of the text because exegesis is there and then. What did it mean there and then? And hermeneutics is, what does it mean here and now? What did Jesus mean when he said it then? But what does it mean at W-O-L here and now? And in the midst of training disciples, 
between Mark 6 and Mark 8, he taught, taught them 14 different things. And I noticed as I was reading, the first four things he said were two-word statements. And so I want to look at four two-word statements that are in your bulletin on a half a sheet of paper, and I just want you to write down four words for wisdom discoveries, and just take out a pen or a pencil. If you don't have one, reach in your neighbor's purse. You got $20 for smoky bones later, and just write down four words for wisdom discoveries. And the first thing Jesus said was this, take nothing. Can you say those two words with me? Take nothing. Let's try that again on three. One, two, three. Take nothing. Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. The first thing out of 14, when Jesus teaches us to be healthy before he sends us, is what? Take nothing. Now, why did Jesus say that? Because everybody here is prone to worry about things and people outside of your control. What will we need down the road? Where are we going? What's the future hold? Where will we be one, three, five years from now? Who will I marry? Where will I work? How will I serve God? And Jesus says to the disciples, take nothing. Now, I understand he's warning them and us about the danger of materialism, extravagance, self-display, and fleshly indulgence. He wants to protect us from setting our affection on things above, lesser gods, idols. Take nothing would also let unbelievers know that we cared more about them than ourselves. But take nothing most of all was to remind us of this one thing, and it is this. You can trust God with the things and the people outside of your control. Say it with me. Take nothing. It means what my teenagers used to tell me when they were teenagers, and they'd see me at the table a little uptight. They'd say, Dad... Dad, Robbie and Bethany go, Dad, you need to chill. Don't you love it when your teenagers tell you what to do? Dad, you need to chill. You can worry, you can fret, you can stew in your own juice. We're in this service on this beautiful Sunday. You can let Jesus himself give you a spirit of faith. That God is big and God is smart. And at times God's working even when you cannot see him. I have so such a, a deep sense in my heart this morning that God wants to give some of you a spirit of faith. for where you're at in your journey. Write it down, number one, on your bulletin if you have it. I'm responsible to follow the Lord. He's responsible to provide for my future. Everybody can say what? 
Three amens. Awesome. I'm going to text Pastor Randy after service and tell him you were really with it today. It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't save. It doesn't mean we don't pray, pray, uh, prepare for the future. It doesn't mean we don't go to lunch after the service on Route 31 and pull in and order a great meal at Longhorn Steakhouse and then sit there and wait for Jesus, the angels, to drop coins on your table. I've met those space cadet Christians. I've been with some of them. We'll just leave that alone for the sake of time. It simply means that you can trust God with what's outside of your control. C.S. Lewis said it this way, Worry is not believing that God will get it right. He also said, Worry is praying to yourself. In the book, I define worry this way. Worry is accepting responsibility God never intended for you to carry. Take nothing. It means we have to let go of some things. Bread, a bag, clothes, more cash were the things the disciples would hold on to and would want to hold on to or depend on or trust in instead of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching them and teaching us. It's not about a stuff thing. It's about a heart thing. Jesus is teaching us to pack light, to depend on the Lord to let go of anything that slows us down in the race. It means we can depend and trust in ourselves or we can depend on and trust in the Lord. Such as, I know we have coins. Don't we have coins in God we trust? It's such a simple juvenile. I want a revelation. I want to know who the seals, the vials, the hordes. Tell me who the Antichrist is today. No. Trust Jesus. In 1976, I had a great job. It was awesome. And I remember the Lord calling me one night at headquarters and, and taking off the uniform and packing my Volkswagen on January 1st, 1976. I can remember like it was today, my Herbie the Love Bug Super Beetle. It was awesome. It was hot. It was fast. It was loud and noisy. But it was a Volkswagen. I put all my stuff in there and pulled out of the driveway, my mother standing on the porch, my father telling me I was crazy, it was awesome, and pulled onto campus, washing toilets for $1.62 an hour, it was awesome. You can't take a lot in a Volkswagen, but I had some clothes, and I've never looked back, and I've never regretted, regretted once putting my trust in the Lord. Now, the second thing Jesus said was whenever, look at verse 10. The second thing Jesus said was stay there. Can you say the word stay there? <laughs> Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, why did Jesus say stay there? Come on, don't, don't look at me like you're, you're religious today. How many of you ever gone to somebody's house and you didn't want to stay there? How many of you ever had company come to your house and you didn't want them to stay there? You were like, hey, hey, here, here's your hat. What's the hurry? Have you ever been to a meeting, not this meeting, of course, when you're 10 minutes into the meeting and you're going like this? I know what that means. Stay there. Whenever you're entering to a house, stay there. 
There are 66 books in the Bible, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 scriptures, 773,000 words written by just over 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents over a 1,500-year period without contradiction. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus says, stay there. What's that mean? Stay there. He knew the disciples would be tempted to move in with the host and then move out to seek more luxury, more this, more that, easier company. They would be quick to offend their host by moving from place to place. And people would question their authenticity because they were going to abort what God wanted to do in their hearts and in ours. They would feed their envy, and envy is the pain you feel when someone else has something that you want. And Jesus says, stay there. You know what stay there means? It means happiness is not a place, but a state of mind. Stay there delivers us from the if onlys. If only I had your job, I'd be happy. If only I had a newer car, I'd be happy. If only I could live in Baldwinsville, I'd be happy. If only, if only, if only. If only my husband didn't snore, I'd be happy. If only my wife didn't shop. <laughs> well, we know you won't be eating lunch at home today. Okay, you, well... Set the table for one more. If only, if only, if only, if only. If only I could win the lottery, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If only I could be married, I'd be happy. No. Marriage doesn't make an unhappy person happy. Marriage simply intensifies the state it already finds you in. If you're not healthy and joyful and content before you get married, for heaven's sakes, don't get married because you won't be content after you get married. Oh, that's double jeopardy. Because you'll probably be prone to marry someone just like you, and that would be horrible to marry someone like you in that state. It's not a place. Stay there means running from your problems doesn't solve your problems. Stay there means if I'm not content with what I have, I won't be content with what I want. Stay there. Stay there. Take nothing is God wanting to give you faith. Stay there is God wanting to grow our humility and our contentment because humility will give you access to two things your whole life. It will give you access to God and it will give you access to wisdom through other people that God places in your life. Why is stay there so important? Because humility will allow us to rather learn something than leave something. Many people, when they get uncomfortable, they will leave instead of learn. I have one, one word for you. If you unfix the fix that God has fixed for you to fix you, he will fix another fix to fix you. All right, I'll say it again one time. If you unfix the fix that God has fixed for you to fix you, he will fix another fix to fix you because in James 1.4, you did not let patience have her perfect work. Some of you want to leave. God wants you to learn. 
Write it down, number two. Stay there means this. Write it down. My character and growth are more important to God, are more important to God than my comfort and any feelings of entitlement. My growth, your growth, stay there means what happens in you is more important than what happens to you. Stay there means wishing you were somewhere else will waste the season that you are in. Stay there means it's not always about leaving. It's more often about learning. Stay there protects our heart from idols and lesser gods because whatever we treasure or trust in more than Jesus is a God to us. What is an idol? An idol is anything that captures and controls the attention of your mind and the affections of your heart. And anything can be an idol. Our sinful nature is at work in all of us. John Calvin said the heart is a factory of idols. The danger of idols is this. Everybody here was created by God to worship. The only choice you get is what you worship or who you worship. The psalmist said those who make idols are just like them as are all who trust in them. In other words, whatever we're going towards, whatever has your attention has become an idol, can become an idol, can become a lesser God to you. How do you overcome the idols of the heart? Screaming at people? Me screaming at you today? Telling you don't, I hear that kind of preaching, don't do this, do this, don't, shouldn't, stop. That's wasted breath. That's outside in. The only way to overcome idols of the heart is simply this. By the expulsive power of a new affection towards Jesus. Thomas Chalmers said the only way to push sin out is to have a new, a new, a new affection and greater affection in your heart towards Jesus. You see a little child, four years old, with, standing in the kitchen with a knife holding in its hand, and, and, you, and you're afraid to scream because the child might run and might hurt itself. So what do you do? Uh, uh, here's how you get a rusty, sharp knife out of the hand of a child. You put down a beautiful new toy right next to it. And the one affection overcomes the lesser affection. That's what Jesus teaches us all through Scripture. Every idol says you will die trying to have me. But Jesus is the one master that says I will die to have you. It's the girl two summers ago, an American idol. I heard it, yeah, I heard it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. Let's try that one. I saw it with my ears and heard it with my eyes. That won't work. This is what she said behind the curtain with what's his name. Before she went out, the guy says, you're going to sing 16 million people, da-da-da. And the girl, 21 years old, this is what she said. She said, if I don't win this contest, my life is over. And my heart was broken when I heard her say that. To put that much glory in a contest or a song or anything that's unpredictable. How many of you know Jesus is the one affection that won't disappoint you in life? He's the one affection. The gospel means two things. It means Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that we deserved. And Jesus secured the welcome of God that we didn't deserve. Remember, heaven isn't for people who are afraid of going to hell. 
Heaven is for people who love Jesus. And so lesser things can get in our way. Remember this. One man said, idols always break the heart of those who worship them. If you're going to tweet something or Facebook something, Facebook that today to your friends. Idols always break the heart of those who worship them. Idols always break the heart. Now, what's the third thing Jesus said? The third thing Jesus said was shake off. If you're rejected, look at verse 11. If you're rejected or offended or ignored or whatever, Jesus said what? Shake off. Now, I know what you're thinking. Taylor Swift wrote a song. Shake it off. T.S. and I are not friends. Kind of sounds like we are when I say T.S. Kind of sounds kind of neat. But. So I had to go online to look her up. Oh, I found her. Because the player's going to play, 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 play. And the hater's going to hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. Oh, most of you know that one. Shake it off. Now, my mom used to take the rugs out on the back porch and shake them off in Baltimore, Maryland. Their dust would fly. <laughs> my dad used to take his mats out of his pickup truck, and he would put them out on, and on the driveway, and he'd shake them off. Shake it off. person that used to cut my hair, they used to put the Superman cape on me. And then they'd cut my hair when I had it, and then they'd sh shake it off. Two summers ago, I was in Ghana, and they put my name up on the board, the Benwick Rally, where I was preaching. And, 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 and this is what it said, Reverend Bill Kirk, USA, New York Ministry Network, the ASS superintendent. <laughs> they forgot to put the T on it. It's A-S-S-T is the assistant. <laughs> so somebody took a picture of it. And they sent it to my phone. It's still, I can't even, it's still in my cell phone. Can you tell I'm still trying to shake it off? Shake it off, shake it off. So why did Jesus say, shake it off? If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake off the dust from your feet. The whole thing, for the sake of time, Jesus was teaching this. He was teaching the disciples before he sent them out the power of a spirit of forgiveness. If you're going to enjoy the journey in life, we all are going to have to learn how to be good what? Good forgivers. Marriage is the union of two forgivers. People cut in front of you at Walmart. I'm really biting my tongue. It's great that I have to be finished in seven minutes. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. What's it mean? Write it down under number three. Whatever I refuse to forgive and let go of will destroy me inwardly and defile many outwardly. It means we won't personalize rejection. We won't live with offense. It means we won't be detoured or distracted or disgruntled. Why? Because we've learned something. We've learned the power. Excuse me. We've learned the power. Excuse me. 
We've learned the power of these truths. Listen to the truth. Unforgiveness is the poison we drink while we wait for the other person to die. If there's someone you have not forgiven, they own you. Resentment is allowing someone you despise to live rent-free in that house of your mind. Four, if you're in pursuit of vengeance, be sure to dig two graves. Five, the pain of letting go of your offenses is far less than the pain of carrying them around. Six, ships don't sink because of water on the outside of the ship. They sink by what gets in on the inside. And seven, the only power that an offense has over your life is the power that you give it. I meet angry people in the journey. Christians. Angry. Holding on. How many of you know forgiveness frees us from living as the victim of other people's behavior and poor choices? How many of you know forgiveness protects us from carrying around emotional baggage that's, ex- that's ex- exhausting? How many of you know forgiveness cuts the umbilical cord that keeps you tied to the past so you can live free from the control of what someone else has done to you? The first thing Jesus said was very obvious. He wants faith in your heart. The second thing Jesus taught, it's obvious. He wants you to be content in every season. The third thing Jesus teaches here is the power of a forgiving spirit, of letting go of the things and the people. It's okay to be injured, but it's not okay to live injured. Did you get that? Turn to the person next to you and ask him, did you get that? Unless they're angry at you, don't ask them that if they're angry at you. Here's my discovery. I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. And an enemy in the heart is worse than 10,000 in the field. And the last thing Jesus said was this. Come apart into a quiet place in verse 31 and get some rest. The disciples didn't even have time to eat. They left by boat for a quieter spot. Mark picks up the narrative after the beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus is very sensitive. The disciples come back and they give their glowing ministry report. Jesus discerns that ministry and and life can be taxing. The human body needs relief and rest and vacations are good and days off are biblical and the Sabbath is a commandment and Jesus wants them to get this. I'll just admit, I was in Syracuse many, many years ago as a, as a youth pastor, as a pastor in Syracuse, and I went to see him on my day off. And, and I said to him, I said, what, what, t- tell me when your day off is. I don't want to bother you on your day off. And here, this was his response. He said, I don't take a day off. Hmm. sounded spiritual. I said, why not? He said, because the devil doesn't. I said to him, whose example are you following? He never invited me back. I said to another leader, I said, where, where, where do you go on vacation? He said, oh, I don't take vacations. I said, oh, that was holy. It sounded sound pretty cool to a young kid. And I said, well, what, what? I said, why not? He said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Oh, I said, either way, you're out. <laughs> really? Out. Either way, you're out. Out, out, out. Out still spells out. Jesus knew that. But I close with this. Jesus really made a detection here. 
Because when the disciples came back and, and reported into Jesus, when Jesus said this, here's what they did. They said, Lord, get this, Lord, demons are cast out. <clears throat> Sir, we got them babies out. <clears throat> we got them. We got them. Look at that, Jesus. We got them. <laughs> we got them. Yep, sick or healed. Yep. Devil's subject. And they boasted about all they had done. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Because the same account in Mark 6 is in, Mark, is in Luke 10, 20. And when they did that in Luke 10, 20, here's what Jesus said. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want you to brag about all your successes. I'd rather you brag about this, that your name is written in the book of life because of my work that I've done on your behalf. Don't tell me how great. Oh, listen, don't get caught up with you. Oh, are you kidding me? I see people who get sad when they don't get likes on Facebook. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not a, Jesus is saying this. It's not about your resume, what you do. I was on four airplanes, uh, six airplanes in the, in the last two weeks, and sat next to a CAEO, and I, was, I didn't even have time to get my seatbelt on when he turned to me and goes, so what do you do? I go, I, I'm, I'm in a world enterprise kind of work. <laughs> what do you do? It's not about your resume, what you do. It's not about your references, who you know. It's not about your resources, what you own. You don't find your deepest joy in what you're doing. Rather rejoice in this, that your name is written in the book of life because of what have I done, what I've done for you. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Hold on. Here's what he is saying. Your deepest source of joy on planet Earth in Baldwinsville today, it's not your work on God's behalf. It's God's work on your behalf. Celebrate. Come apart. Celebrate. It's a come apart Sunday. Yes, let's celebrate, but let's not celebrate what we've done. What we're doing. Who we know. No, that will leave you. That's not your greatest source of joy. Here's your greatest source of joy. It's not your work. It's his work. On your behalf. Today is the come apart Sunday. Take nothing means Jesus alone is the answer for misplaced affections. Today God will give you faith. Stay there. It means Jesus alone is the one who brings contentment to your heart. He overcomes the comparison syndrome and the consumerism mindset. And he wants to give you a contented heart. Thirdly, shake off means Jesus alone can forgive you and give you the grace to forgive someone else. And come apart means Jesus alone and his work on your behalf is your greatest joy. Because you can't achieve it. You can only receive it. It's not about working harder. It's trusting easier. 
It's a gift. It's a gift. A gift is a gift. It's a gift. You can't, it's a gift. So let's celebrate his kindness and his goodness. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. There's a great prayer team here at Word of Life Church, a, great, a truly great prayer team. People who have been praying for you before you even got here this morning. Before you even arrived, people were praying for you. Believe that? People were actually praying for your heart before you attended here today. So if you're here and if you're here and you need Jesus to put faith in your heart, you need Jesus to help you rest content. You need Jesus to give you grace to forgive someone who has hurt you. Or you just need to come apart and rest a while into a quiet place. Remember, salvation is not a paycheck for being good. But certain behaviors are dictators that lesser gods and idols and misplaced affections need changing. And I just believe that God, by His grace, will speak to your heart today. So if you're here and maybe you're spiritually dry because your prayer life and your word life has been sporadic. Maybe you're angry at someone because they've hurt you. Maybe you're anxious and hurried, no margins. You haven't learned or you've neglected to come apart and rest a while. Maybe you're allowing some substances to destroy your brain cells or take oxygen out of your bloodstream. Oh, it may not keep you out of heaven, but it's not God's best for you. Are you in a relationship that's not pushing you closer to Jesus? Are you allowing pornography to pollute your thought life? Are you robbing God of his rightful place in your finances? Are you addicted to anything that's made you a slave to it? Today is your day to cooperate with God's sovereignty so that you can be a healthy person and take your spiritual and emotional and wholeness to a whole new level after today is over. Are you more concerned about what people think of you, your image, than what God thinks of you, your condition? If you will bury your pride and say, Jesus, today I'll give you permission to change what inside of me what needs to be changed. Jesus himself will meet you. Jesus himself, by the Holy Spirit, will affect change where change is needed. Because no one is so good that they don't need the grace of God. And no one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of God. We are so sinful, Jesus had to die for us, yet we are so loved, he was glad to die for us. So if you're here and you know there's something God wants to change inside of you before we leave. This is not just another uh, summer Sunday. This is a come apart Sunday where God is going to do a deep work of grace in your heart if you cooperate only with your cooperation. If you're here and you know there's something that God wants to change inside of your heart and you're willing to give God permission today before you leave, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up all over the house? Just slip it up in every section. Go ahead, just slip it up. To hold it up high. This is a safe place. Word of life is a safe place. God bless you in every section. God bless you for your transparency. Let's all stand together. Could we please?
Before our worship team sings one, one closing song, Pastor Mike's going to come up and dismiss in prayer. I want to pray with you and for you before you leave. I want to pray together because we're all in this together. I want every one of you that slipped up your hand, would you just step out of your seat and come and stand down here in the front? No one's going to counsel you or yell at you or push you. I want every one of you that slipped up your hand and said, God, today I'm willing to give you permission. Just say, excuse me, to the person next to you. Just say, excuse me. Excuse me. Your family will wait. Your friends will wait. Just come and, and stand in the front. Just make your way to the front. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you know there's something God wants to tweak, adjust, and change in your own heart. We want to pray for you. We want to believe God with you. We want to believe God that God will answer prayer on your behalf. Just, just move in as close as you can. Just move forward as close as you can. This is a safe place. God bless you as you come. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. Today's your day. Right now is your time. You step out and come and come down and we'll pray together. Jesus will forgive you and save you today. Yes, save, born again today by his marvelous grace. Let's all pray this together out loud, could we? Let's all pray this together. Everybody in the house, as people are coming, let's pray this together out loud. Let's pray together out loud. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word to my heart. And today, Jesus, I give you permission to bring change inside of me what needs to be changed. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me today and changing me forever. In the strong name of Jesus.